Michael Jordan is not only the best basketball player, but he's the most exciting basketball player to ever play. Tatum fires away, pumps it in, 51 for Jason Tatum. The Big Three NBA podcast is powered by Prize Picks, the exclusive daily fantasy partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another edition of the Big Three NBA podcast. I'm your host, A. Shrod Blakely, with a special guest today, Miss Callie Lawson Freeman from Yahoo Sports. Callie, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm coming at you from the sunny state of Florida, as are you. So that's yes. apart yet still together. That's how we do things. That's how we do things. Uh, Want to just kind of really jump right into the conversation because. Callie is a busy, busy woman, and we don't want to waste her time. Uh, the Celtics, they're riding this, this uh, nine-game uh, winning streak. They're clearly the best team record-wise. From a, a national perspective, because I know you deal with a lot of NBA teams, but where do you see the Celtics in the grand scheme of the NBA landscape at this point? That's a great question. I mean, they're the best team right now. Like, they're, they're league best. That 46-12, and 12, that is by a landslide, the best record, you know, they're leading the league and even their most recent win, I will say it wasn't like the most convincing win, 117 over 99 over like the shorthanded 76ers. But um, I mean, Jalen Brown, 31 in that matchup, Jason Tatum had 29 points. And I know we're going to talk about him more, but like they're the team to beat. And when you look at the Celtics, uh, the, the one thing that kind of jumps out to a, a lot of folks is just the, the, the depth that they have and the fact that they can kind of hurt you in a lot of different ways. And and I know with, with you being out, out in Cali, yes, Cal, Cali lives in California. I know, crazy. Uh, you get to see a lot of the Western Conference teams. And I'm, I'm just curious, uh, who, what are some of the teams that you see out West that uh, kind of stand out to you from, from what, you, what you've seen? I mean, obviously the Timberwolves are like the team in the West right now. And then you have the Thunder who are having a season that reminds me of my my beloved King season last year. You know, I feel like they're having this great sit like yeah, they're in the number two spot in the West. So like they're they're playing great. Then we have the Nuggets, obviously. Like that's they're the reigning NBA champions. And then right there is the Sun. So to me, like that's what stands out. And then Kings, Lakers, Warriors are eight, nine, and 10, just trailing there. And so last night, obviously the whole story was LeBron and that crazy performance in the fourth quarter for the comeback win. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things that on, from a national perspective, you have so much fun with, cause there's so much to talk about. This man is 39 years old, you know? So that like the storylines from that are just endless. And obviously we're at a point in the season where, we're trying to like get a glimpse of the playoff picture. Like where will LeBron fit into that? Where will Steph fit into that? Like where will the Kings potentially fit into that? So I don't know. The West is really interesting. I feel like the Suns are an interesting team. It's funny at dinner the other night, you were saying the Clippers were going to be like the team. And now it's like, they just got embarrassed in their last game against the Lakers and crypto. So, I mean, I don't know. I there's a lot. We could, we could talk for a long time about the West. Yeah. And the thing about the West is that there's always this wild, wild West dynamic too, but it seems this year it's wilder than, than usual. Uh, when you talk about the Lakers, uh, you talk about, you know, Golden State and, and teams that have kind of historically been among the top tier teams. That hasn't been the case this season, but 
is there still a, a sense of how can I put this? Is there a concern if you're like, let's say, a team like Minnesota and a team like Oklahoma City that you get to the playoffs, you've had this great season, your fans are jacked for a deep playoff run, and then you look across the the you know the other side of the court and you see the Lakers or you see you know Golden State perhaps you know sneaking in? How much of concern is there among those top two teams that they might see kind of almost like what we'd call like a legacy organization like Golden State or the Lakers waiting for them? I mean, it's a big concern. I hate to say, I don't want to wish anything negative on the Thunder, but that's kind of what I see happening because I've seen it. I just watched it firsthand with the Kings. Like that was the a great season. You know, you get yourself a, a great seed for your first playoff appearance in 16 seasons. Like it, and then here comes Stephen Curry. You know what I mean? And it's just terrible squashing your hopes and dreams. And I feel like that could happen to the Thunder. I feel like maybe the Timberwolves are less, I guess, subject to something like that. But definitely that's something I worry about with the Thunder. It feels like their Cinderella shoes are going to come falling off soon just because maybe it's the cynicism in me from last season. But yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah, we're going to give back to your beloved Sacramento Kings because I will not I, I I want everyone to always feel comfortable when they come on, you know, the, the Bakery podcast and knowing how much you love your Sacramento Kings. We're going to show them some love a little bit later, but but I want us to get back to the Celtics for a minute, uh, because as, as we pointed out, and most people know this, they have the best record in the NBA. They're starting to put even more distance record wise between themselves uh, and the rest of the East and the NBA in a grander scheme but there's some teams in the eastern conference that might have something to say about boston just kind of you know running away with things and i wanted us to kind of have a conversation about you know some of those teams and just kind of get your thoughts on the likelihood or the chances that that particular team could pose a major threat to the boston celtics and i wanted to start off with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have been playing some of their best basketball of late, have provided us with some of the greatest unexpected highlights of late. Uh, what's your take on Cleveland and just their chances of knocking off the Celtics if it came to that in the playoffs? Um, It's interesting that you would point that out. Obviously, we had that great Max Strews highlight that was fantastic. But then they followed that up by losing to the Bulls in double overtime last night. Right. So I think... There's something to be said for that. The team could have been exhausted. It seemed like they were struggling on the boards from the free the th free throw line. But I think that if you look at the quality of wins and losses, like they've blown out a good amount of teams, but they mm -hmm. haven't been on the other end of that very much. And so mm -hmm. I I think though, when you kind of compare them to the Celtics, they're 20 and five since January 2nd, I believe. And then so is Boston. So it's like the Celtics, are not giving any other team room to make up ground and kind of like close in on them. And that's where things get difficult for, for Cleveland, because it's like, you can, you can be as hot as you want to. They're in my opinion, not the team that I would be concerned about. I know we're going to go down the list, but it's not the Cavs. I'm not concerned about them with the Celtics. Right. Okay. I I am in the corner. Here's the thing about Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland is, is, there's no question they're playing great basketball, but my concern with them is that they peak too soon. Um, when I look at their roster and look at what they're doing, pretty much everyone on their roster is having 
a career year or pretty close to that. And that typically doesn't translate when you get to the playoffs. And if they're play a notch or two below where they're at now, there's no way that they're going to beat the Celtics in a best of seven. And then that's the thing I, I have to remind folks about that the playoffs, it's a best of seven. It's not whether you can beat a team. Can you beat a team four times? That's the the challenge that I think a lot of folks are going to have with the Celtics. Because I do believe the Celtics will have at least one or two playoff series where they'll lose a couple games, maybe even go to a, a game seven. But I don't think anyone is built necessarily to beat them in a best of seven. But one team that certainly strongly disagrees with me on that is the Milwaukee Bucks, to the point where even with one of the best records in the NBA at that time, they still decide, well, you know what? We need to make a change at the top. So we're going to go and get Doc Rivers, uh, which ironically, you know, Doc, yes, he's a championship coach. He's top 10 all time in wins, but he also is the NBA record keeper for most playoff series losses after going up 3-1 and having been a witness to the first of those major meltdowns um it's something that kind of gnaws at him a little bit but just your take on the Milwaukee Bucks and just their chances of you know getting back to where they were a couple years ago which was NBA champion yeah you know I think it's so interesting Damian Lillard last night mentioned that when he joined the Bucks he thought they were going to be the Celtics like he called them out by name and thought that they were they were going to have the same season, you know, and that's obviously not been the case. You mentioned the midseason firing of Adrian Griffin. So now they kind of have to find their footing again. It's not been completely smooth sailing under Doc Rivers, but I think now they might be in a position to put some things together, especially if you look at their two matchups, like the Celtics and the Bucks are one-on-one this season. So if you look at the quality of those games, the second matchup was a was a bad loss for the Celtics. They had a three-point win in November that turned into a 33-point blowout just last month. So, and actually, now that I think about that game, I remember being so bad that TNT cut away from it. Like, that's that's not good. So you have Yeah, you don't see that happen too often. Yeah, so I think we, now we're at the point where you've got to start thinking what's changed with the Celtics, what's changed with, um, with the Bucks, and... I I can't say that I feel like the Celtics have improved significantly since that loss last month to the point where I would expect a different outcome if they played next month, you know? So I I don't know. But I think, to me, the the Bucs are, like, the most interesting matchup. I also like Miami, which I know we'll talk about, but the Bucs are – they're formidable, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. But let, let's let's shift to Miami because everyone likes to everyone likes Miami, uh, particularly when it comes to the Celtics, because Miami has shown the ability to kind of let's just be honest, take the Celtics places the Celtics don't want to go uh, and put the Celtics in positions where they're uncomfortable and thus uh, find themselves watching instead of preparing for the next playoff series after playing Miami. What's What's your take on on the Heat and 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 what you see in in them this season? And are they a legitimate threat to come out of the East? Even though record wise, they may not necessarily have been in that top tier for long. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's about the record. I think the Heat know when to heat up. They've shown that they can heat up at the right. Well time. played. I like <laughs> that. the Heat when they heat up. Okay, I'm gonna write that one down. I like that. 
Thank you. They've they've shown that they can they can ramp it up when it's really important and crucial. Right now they're on a five game winning streak. They play the Nuggets tonight, which I think could potentially be a good barometer for where they are. It's like the first final. Is it the first finals rematch of this season? I believe it might be. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's interesting too because the Nuggets have won four straight. So these are two teams that have been to the finals and you see they're kind of ramping up around the same time. Now we get to compare them to one another. What I will say is that the Celtics have beat the Heat three times this season. Um, And that's not great, but for some reason, I just still have this interest in the Heat as an opponent for, for the Celtics. Like I, maybe it's the Heat culture, maybe it's the recency bias with the finals, but there's something to that, I think. Like, you've been to the finals, you tasted it, you didn't win. And the Cel- the Heat, the Celtics are further removed from that. You know, like, they've they've been, you know, to the mountaintop and not, you know, reached the peak. But the Heat, they're, it's fresher in their mouths. So, I don't know. That's how I feel. Yeah, the, the Heat, the, the one thing that I always come back to when, when you talk about the Miami Heat is Spolstra, who I think is the best coach in the NBA. Uh, I, I've never, he's the one guy that you have seen find ways to win, whether he's got great talent, mediocre talent, it doesn't matter. He figures out how to maximize the skills of his players and get them in many respects to play, you know, bigger and better than, than they normally would play. And, and so that's the concern if you're the Boston Celtics. But I, I think, the difference this year is that the Celtics understand there's a now or never mindset, I think, with the Boston Celtics this year, that they're either going to win a championship this year or there may be dramatic changes. I don't think you'll break up the Jays per se, but I do think that they'll start looking a lot closer at, you know, some of their other core guys and figuring out, you know, why are we not getting over the hump? Because uh, at this point, you know, Tatum and Brown and Tatum, whose birthday is this week, and he'll be 26 years old. They're at a point now where you really can't talk about them being on the come up or learning and all that. You either get it done now or you don't. And I think that's that's part of the narrative with this team all season long. And it's going to be really a a storyline that I'm extremely excited to see play out uh, over time. Hello, everyone. This is Ashraf Blakely, part of the CLNS Media Network, and I wanted to tell you about one of our friends, Prize Picks. It's the largest DFS, that's Daily Fantasy Sports, platform in North America. It is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. You want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill or comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks, submit your entries, and do this in less than 60 seconds. Yes, that's right, less than 60 seconds. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Who doesn't love Taco Tuesday? Every Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize Picks also offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account as we count down these final weeks until the NBA playoffs start. As a longtime fantasy league player myself, Prize Picks is the perfect what's next to satisfy my fantasy league itch. You want in too? 
here's what you have to do. First, you got to go to prizepicks.com slash CLNS and use the code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. Prizepicks.com slash CLNS. Use the code CLNS for a first deposit match of up to $100. So that being said, you get a chance to pick more. You can pick less. It's that easy. Uh, you had mentioned uh, the Denver game in Miami, and, and the Nuggets are led by two-time MVP uh, Nikola Jokic, um, who once again is doing Jokic-like things and, and putting himself in position to once again uh, be on the short list of MVP candidates. But, you know, there's this kid in Boston named Jason Tatum. His team kind of has the best record in the league. He's kind of giving you 27-ish you know, six, seven, eight rebounds, four or five assists per game, good numbers. And yet when it comes to the MVP narrative, there's usually three, four, five, even six guys who are viewed upon as being more MVP ready than him. I'm curious, what's your take on Jason Tatum in this whole MVP conversation? Because I have heard everything from he should be top three because he's best player on the best team or look at his numbers compared to some of the other guys. There's no way he should be in the top five. What's your take on, on Jason Tatum and the whole MVP conversation? I, I absolutely think he should be in the conversation. I think he should be leading the conversation. I think the point of being the MVP is being the best player on the best team. To me, that that's MVP and that's Jason Tatum right now. So I think the case against him seems purely statistical as you mentioned his scoring is down I think more than three points from last season which puts him behind Luka Doncic Luka Doncic SGA Giannis and those are the people that he's being compared to and so I think his scoring being down is actually a credit to him which is why we've heard so many endorsements for him in like recent weeks, we heard Kristaps Porzingis say, you know, he could say F it and score 30, but like that wouldn't guarantee us the win he sacrifices for the team. So that's, you've got Kristaps coming out saying he should be MVP. You have, you know, I've, I've seen so many endorsements. I think Draymond Green, like there are multiple people coming out and saying that he should be in the conversation. But one thing I've learned is that so much of the narrative that we come to accept comes from the players themselves. And it wasn't until just last week, I think, that Jason Tatum sat down with ESPN and said that he thinks he's the best player in the league. And I think that really does matter. Like, a lot of people feel like these players shouldn't have to make the MVP cases themselves, which I agree with. It's not their jobs to advocate for their just due. But I think him saying that goes a long way. Because if you look at his career to date, you mentioned that he's going to turn 26 this month. And it's so funny because when early in his, actually for so long in his career, the joke was, wow, he's doing this and he's just 19. Like, yeah, he, he, he spent more time at 19 than, than uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't until maybe a year or two ago where people were like, oh, wow, he's not 19 anymore. Like he's, he's about to be 26. But I think that plays into what I'm saying is like, there have been so many, misconceptions that have just like been woven into the narrative of his career that it takes him a while sometimes to push back against and I think him saying I'm the best player it's me it matters I think more people will start coming out like Draymond Green 
like his teammates, like his coach, like they will continue to make that case and people will have to pay attention. That's just kind of how the the news cycle works now. Like once once we get it from the players themselves, that goes a long way. Is there anything you can think of that that he would need to do or should do uh, to kind of break through that noise and and be seen as one of the top three, top four MVP candidates this year? I think he should keep talking mess. Like, keep saying that he's the best. I I, I firmly, I stand behind that because to me, like I said, the numbers are shouldn't change. You Like you said, you have someone like Chris Tapsport saying is you have a solid squad. This is a well-developed team. This roster has been kind of fine-tuned, I think. And so he's surrounded by some solid players. He's getting them the ball. He's playmaking. So he's not going to be the leading scorer of every single game. That's okay. But I think if he continues to be vocal about the fact that he's, I guess, sacrificing his statistics this season for the team's overall success, more people will understand that. I'm not sure why that's not a larger storyline right now but it it seems like the more that he talks about it the more his team talks about it people are gonna like I think he'll he'll move up in the the voting odds for sure yeah the one thing about Jason Tatum that uh and 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 our our good friend uh Vincent Goodwill him and I had this conversation a few weeks ago um Tatum has been so good for so long that we almost take it for granted uh, yeah. And because he's been basically a guy that's been in the mid to high 20s as a scorer, gets you, you know, six, seven, eight rebounds a game and, and does all those things. And he's consistently doing that night in, night out. We're looking for him to do something extraordinary beyond that, because that's his baseline, which is it's, it's kind of it, it's it's unfair to him that he has this ridiculous baseline. Like Jason, an average year for Jason Tatum is a career year for like 85 percent of the NBA. And yeah. That works against him in these arguments. I think for Jason to like seriously become a threat to win the MVP, he has to keep winning, obviously, but he also has to do some kind of extraordinary thing statistically, like average 30 and 10 and five or something like that over an eight, nine, 10 game stretch, which to me, it, it, I just don't like the idea that he's got to put up numbers in order to get the respect that you should be getting when you win. It's, yeah. it's almost, and Jason, and we've had this conversation before and he's talked about it and he's played like it as far as I just want to win. I want to do whatever I can to help this team win. And early in his career, he thought the only way he could do that was get buckets. And then he realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm scoring 25 a game and we're losing to the top teams. And I'm only got three assists. Or I got two assists. So he's become more of a playmaker. Uh, in the last couple of years. And even that's not enough to get him over the hump of being, a t- you know, considered a legitimate top three, top five MVP candidate. Uh, and so it, it feels as though that the baseline for him is is different than anyone else. Uh, and the goalposts keep moving because at some point they say, well, you know, you got to win a championship. Last I checked, Jokic, his first, his first MVP came before he won a title. So it's not like the championship itself is going to guarantee you in that conversation. Um, It's really interesting just how Jason Tatum has been kind of viewed uh, among the top tier players. uh, Joel Embiid did not win. Joel can't even get out of the damn second round of the playoffs. And yet he's got that. He's got a chip. He's got an MVP. So it's. 
it's the goalposts just keep swinging, and the baseline is is well above sea level when it comes to Jason Tatum relative to others. I, but that's what I'm saying. I think he should run his mouth some more, tell his his players to to talk a little bit more. The goalposts will move in his favor, I think, because like you said, it's a it's a moving like target. So mm. it's gotta like this could be the year that things kind of play out and and fit together i think i don't know there's got to be a point where it's rewarded to sacrifice and i feel like this could be the year for that especially now we talk so much about the way that we talk about basketball and like we we expect so much from these players tatum winning mvp would be a great counter to so much of that discussion like right now we say oh People don't want to talk about basketball. They just want to talk about controversial talking points. But like what Jason Tatum do, is doing right now contradicts all of that. So that now's the time to kind of answer that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he really does seem to embody what you want your best player to be about, which is winning games. And that's why I love the fact that Shea Gilders Alexander, <clears throat> excuse me, is also in that conversation. He's doing great things at, at OKC. Uh, his numbers are a little bit more gaudy than, than uh, Tatum's in part because he's Frank Tatum has a better team. Uh, but I, I wanted to, to kind of bring it full circle because again, um, I love when, when people come on here and I love to talk about things that I know matter to them. And, and you, and your Sacramento background, uh, your Sacramento Kings uh, took us on a nice little uh, journey last season. Uh, Ashley made the playoffs. And Mike Brown is someone I've known for a really long time. I'm glad that he got an opportunity to, you know, to lead that team because Mike's a good coach. Uh, he, he's 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 a really good coach, uh, particularly when it comes to getting teams that haven't had a ton of success to making them respectable and, and contenders and, and competitive. Yeah. But things have kind of leveled out a little bit. The Kings are like eighth in the West. They've lost a couple games in a row. Um, what's the vibe among Kings nation right now? Uh, Cause this is, cause after last season, this isn't exactly where I think Kings fans thought they would be a year at year later. No, I think it's so interesting that you mentioned the vibe. Cause that stood out to me so much. I don't obviously have the opportunity to go to every single Kings game and cover them in that capacity but I did go to media day and I remember thinking the vibe here feels so different than last year I think last year or yeah last year it seemed like there was so much excitement and energy like there was this viral clip of Mike Brown yelling at media day because he heard like one of his players yelling for a photo and I feel like that encompassed the energy for the whole season it was just so much new energy so much excitement but i think with what they accomplished last season which is breaking a historic playoff drought came some pressure immediately in media day one of the every single player that would come up to um for the scrum just to talk to the group of reporters every single player said that they want to win a championship which is what you should say absolutely but mike brown said the same thing which tells me that there is pressure in that organization like it's not it's not last year it's not oh we you know we just got to break this playoff draw and I know even last year it wasn't just to break the playoff draw the goal was to to make a run I get it but I think that this year the the pressure is different and so I think what we're seeing now with 
the Kings season are they're winning. Like they beat the Nuggets, I think three times this season. So they're winning solid games, but they're also losing games that they conceivably could win. And when you listen to, you know, post-game comments, it seems like there's a lot of tinkering being done, like with lineup changes, with playing time. And I sense that that's a little bit frustrating for the players. Like even last night, I think it was last night against the, the Nuggets, Kevin Herter, um, Kevin Herter was frustrated. Like he, when he was asked kind of what, what went wrong, he was like, I don't know, but I wish I was out there to help us more. I think he played, I think he played 18 minutes and he scored like four points. So it's like, there's, it seems to be there, there's some frustration and that seems like a natural progression to what happened last year. So I think, I don't know, it would have been unrealistic for any Kings fan to think, okay, we broke the playoff drought last season. Now we're going to win the finals. Like, no, but I think that maybe there's a little bit of disappointment to this point, but the season's not over. Anything can happen, especially in the West, like we talked about. You just never know. Yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting. The vibes are very interesting. So it's funny that you led with that. <laughs> well, the thing about the Kings, they've they've been for the longest time. Them, the Clippers, they've been which I mean, I, I kind of put them in the category of the lovable losers because they lose a lot of games, but you love them nonetheless. They just don't win. And, you know, they last season was great, good run. This season, uh, I don't think it's been what they expected. And my concern for the Kings and Kings Nation is that it's not going to get easier, the, the final stretch of the season. They've got the ninth toughest uh, remaining schedule uh, in the NBA. And I'm looking at just some of the teams that they've still have, you know, on the docket that they've got to deal with. You know, you've got the Celtics, you got the Mavericks, OKC, the Clippers, Milwaukee Bucks. They play the Knicks twice. They are not going to get too many nights, if any nights, off the remainder of, of this of the season. And my concern is that you know a lot of the frustration that you're talking about, Kelly, I think is real. And Typically, when teams are frustrated and, and and not really sure of how to break through, and the next thing you know, you've got a team that's coming to town or that you're going into their town that can break your will because they're that good. How are they going to have the resolve and fortitude to handle that? Are they built mentally tough enough to deal with that? Uh, and that's my concern for the Kings because I would love to see them you know, make a, make a little bit of noise in the playoffs. I know that that's your team. My, my good friend, Kyle Draper, you know, he's on the play by play with the Kings. I would love to I see Kyle Draper at media day. Shout exactly. <laughs> I would love for you guys to have a great season, but I'm feeling real nervous about the Kings breaking through because uh, like we were talking about earlier, when you got teams on the back, what I call the back nine of the conference, like the, the Lakers and Golden State teams that, you know, on any and particularly Golden State, now that Chris Paul is back, um, any they can go on a six, seven, eight, nine game winning streak, and next thing you know, that team that was in, you know, tenth, eleventh, is now firmly in the playoffs as maybe a seventh seed or maybe you lock themselves into that playing spot. Uh, and I worry about for them to move up, someone has to move down and out, and I I hope it's not the Kings. Because I, I think they they've got really good players, Ian Fox, you know, Sabonis, really good players. But I'm concerned. I I have concerns about and and Hurd is one of my favorite players. Uh, tough, gritty kid. I love when he was in Atlanta. Um, 
he is he's really fun to watch. But I'm nervous about the Kings uh, being able to solidify themselves, you know, uh, as a playoff team. Me too. I I also am nervous, and I get the sense that the Kings are also nervous, which is not ideal. So I'm with you. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Well, listen. This has been awesome. We'll have to do it again at some point. Uh, next time, we'll, I'll, we'll figure out a way to bring in the rest of the gang, Kwani and, and Gary Washburn, uh, to also be part of this. Callie Lawson, Yahoo Sports, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you.